When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, this is Rosie. And Carmen. From Barnes UK and you're listening to Pantheon Podcasts. History in five songs. With host Martin Popoff. A production of Pantheon Podcasts. Let's rock out with Martin. Well, hello again. Welcome back to another episode of History and Five Songs with Martin Popoff, brought to you by the good folks at Pantheon Podcasts. Pleased, as always, to be part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, available on Spotify, iTunes, Podbay, and over 40 other podcast platforms. Okay, so this episode, this is another one that I feel is a bit of a necessity episode, uh, and it's also kind of cool in that the whole idea here is that we are... um, Putting together a history of heavy metal uh, across, okay, we've got, this is episode 38, but across these episodes so far, there are four or five episodes that one could string together uh, to create a history of heavy metal only up to a point at this point. And this is one of those connective ones that I've always felt uh, was a true, uh, you know, vital topic to talk about and something that sets up what is to come after. And I, I feel like I'm, I'm one of the only ones who has been talking about this as a definable concept. So, episode 38, we are calling Second Wave Heavy Metal European Division. Now, I've always had this idea that after the first wave, well, after the 60s, which is sort of your uh, disparate little pieces getting put together in the history of heavy metal, we have the big explosion in 1970 with the likes of Black Sabbath, Your Eye Heap, and Deep Purple. Um, But then essentially not a lot happens up until about 1975. Not a lot new. Um, We do get a lot of great albums coming out uh, during that time. But there really is uh, is nothing that feels like a, a next wave movement. And I really wanted to uh, set up this thing because, you know, we already have episodes on the new wave of British heavy metal. We have episodes on uh, on early hair metal. Uh, I will do an episode on uh, on the invention of thrash, maybe just called Who Invented Thrash to go with our Who Invented Heavy Metal. You know, we've also got the Who Invented Punk and Grunge, but that's a little off to the side. But I feel that there is this period 
that needs to be defined and talked about between about, you know, roughly speaking, 1975 to 1979. And this is what I call the second wave. And what I like about this is this is the thing that essentially sets up the new wave of British heavy metal. Now, why I say that specifically instead of this big thing that we got out of America, hair metal, is because I will do an episode, uh, a, a sister or brother episode of this one, called Second Wave Heavy Metal American Division. And uh, I think you can guess who's going to be talked about in those ones. Um, but this is uh, this is going to be um, all European. And you know, my my initial instinct was to make this an an uh, an English, a UK division thing, because most of what we're going to talk about here is UK based. But um, I had to get in Scorpions, and then once I started looking at these bands, I realized that there are people from all over uh, the place, all over Europe, but but essentially. Um, Essentially, uh, well, some Americans as well, but it, it is essentially a UK thing. But I, I liked the idea of, of European, and and we'll talk about uh, a, a deeper reason for that uh, in a moment. So, um, okay, so let's um let's move into our first entry, and we will uh, and we will get this off. I've arranged these essentially chronologically by their uh, by their period of importance when when they really fit into this narrative again. You know, I, I wanted to talk about these bands not in the same way I've talked about them all a million times. I mean, all five of these bands you're going to hear I've written books on, and three out of the five I've written multiple books on these bands. So I've talked about these bands a lot in, you know, whatever, you know, book book interviews or, or other shows that we've got, The Contrarians, the stuff I do with Banger. Um, so there's been a lot of discussion, but I wanted to keep this fairly focused on this concept, the second wave concept. So, okay, without further ado, let's play our first one. Uh, this is UFO with Mother Mary. Take a listen. All right, so why do we have UFO in here? Um, all of these bands, like I say, I'm calling them second wave bands, but UFO is the first one that brings up this interesting case. They started way back in 1970 along with these other bands. I mean, essentially, Sabbath and Heap started 69-ish. Um, you know, Deep Purple is the one band that goes back further. We keep forgetting they had three studio albums in the psychedelic rock era and the classic al classical album, and then they went through major lineup changes. So by 1970, they had a few uh, a few war scars on them. Uh, so Deep Purple is really the oldest of these bands. But you know, I I even uh, make make the um, you know, I I make the mistake of forgetting that it doesn't all start within rock sometimes as well, because to me that's a super super important album. But you have is one of these bands that also starts around the same time but I, I consider them fully a second wave band because that first wave you know nobody was woke to UFO at all and for good reason the Mick Bolton era they were kind of like a uh, punky garagey caveman-y rudimentary version of free they were almost like a post-british blues boom band uh, even though they had this long concept in flying but they basically had UFO one flying 
the live album, and they came and went without a whisper. On Beacon, uh, essentially more German distribution probably than UK distribution. These records certainly, they you know, we didn't see them in uh, in Canada or or the U.S. particularly. Uh, really underground band at that point. Um, but what happens is Michael Schenker joins the band. So again, we have this uh, we have this English band. Three of the guys are English, but you know a super super important member in the band is German in Michael Schenker, and they kick things off with. Um, with the Phenomenon album, but again, you know, they're, they're not really, um, outside of Rock Bottom and uh, and Doctor Doctor, the rest of the album is pretty much ignored. Forset comes out in July 1975. This song you just heard is from Forset, Mother Mary. Uh, this is their first, uh, quite a bit heavier album than Phenomenon, and they are off to the races. And again, uh, just to give you sort of the the ongoing history, you know, we get no heavy pet and prob- probably my favorite of the Michael Schenker uh, uh, era. Lights Out, a lot of people love Lights Out. It's their most famous album. Then Obsession in 1978. So they, they have a, this good bank of well-loved albums. And again... Um, you know this idea of the second wave. This is this is essentially nobody nobody remembers that UFO is as old as these other bands because basically they they come to light, they blossom like a butterfly uh, on chrysalis, of course. Uh, so uh, so um, basically in the late seventies, and they become this this you know fairly famous band, a good working band. Um, you know, solid financial footing, but but nobody's getting rich off of this, of course. Uh, but but well known in the UK, Europe, uh, they're they're starting to tour the states. Um, but again, they're this this kind of band that sets up uh, that sets up the new wave of British heavy metal. How do they specifically do it? They do it through this concept of um, keyboards in heavy metal. Um, and also uh, uh, an overt sense of melody, great storytelling, uh, and and Michael Schenker, uh, they have a they have a guitar hero who's a very quintessentially European playing guitar hero. Now it's only a single guitar band. We're gonna we're gonna get to that uh, in in a second, um, but essentially they are one of these bands. Uh, that that is a second wave band that proves to these new wave of British heavy metal people that hey there might be a future in this despite punk coming along despite prog um, despite you know some disparaging comments to uh, to heavy metal there are new heavy metal bands injecting something uh, in into the situation okay so let's move on with our second selection and we shall discuss this is Rainbow with Run with the Wolf. All right, so Rainbow is so much uh, a second-generation band. They basically start in 1975 with the Richie Blackmore's Rainbow album, and they they are proving to be, um, you know, so graphically second-generation, second-wave, as as our title calls it, because they are they are the butterfly uh, rising, you know, out of Deep Purple, out of the death of Deep Purple. Deep Purple isn't dead yet. 
you know, they're essentially uh, on their way out. Um, but Rainbow kind of uh, replaces them and they replace them with, uh, you know, I've said this before, but I, I, I love this story. I mean, the idea that this is the first album we ever got as kids that had no mellow songs on at all. This is a six out of six album in terms of like the whole thing is heavy metal. Uh, so that's kind of an, an important thing for the new wave of British heavy metal. Um, if you want to talk about, um, you know, what does Rainbow bring to that? Um, what they bring is the idea of of unapologetically being heavy metal, loving heavy metal, talking about heavy metal. Uh, well, they don't talk about heavy metal, but uh, this idea of uh, it's okay to make this music and have no ballads on it, no proggy stuff. Well, I mean that the two eight-minute songs are are somewhat proggy in a way, but uh, it it it's it's essentially um, championing heavy metal uh, really forthrightly and honestly. Richie making a statement that uh, you know I don't want to be uh, a bluesy funky band, and uh, and this is uh, this is the new thing, or at least it's what he's going to do. So again, and one more thing. Uh, that uh, that Rainbow represents moving on into the new wave of British heavy metal is you could write these uh, Dungeons and Dragons and demony and occult and and uh, Middle Ages uh, type uh, Renaissance type things and when you get into the new wave of British heavy metal you know a, a whole environs uh, gets put together a whole a whole world gets put together of of timelessness. And you get timeless lyrics out of uh, out of the likes of Judas Priest. You get timeless lyrics out of Iron Maiden. Um, Judas Priest isn't obviously new wave of heavy metal, and we are going to talk about them here uh, as well in this episode. But but essentially, um, you get a heavy metal world invented on the Rainbow Rising album, and 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 took to a large extent on the Richie Blackmore's Rainbow album, and even Long Live Rock and Roll. So again. Uh, just to flesh it out, why is Rainbow an emphatically second wave connective tissue between the first wave and the new wave of British heavy metal? Well, they had one studio album. They have Rising as a second. They have a double live album, Real Snoozer, that one. Um, and then they also have this great, great um you know, third album with Ronnie James Dio, Long Live Rock and Roll. And then they have what is my favorite Rainbow album, Down to Earth, uh, even before the decade is out, 1979. So they're a big part of this whole thing. And again, they're a British band proving that you can be, um, you can be uh, successful in this. You know, I say they're a British band, but again, uh, and this is the European division, but, um, you know, the fact of the matter is, uh, two-fifths of the band are American. Tony Carey is from California. Ronnie James Dio is from upstate New York. You've got Richie Blackmore, British. You've got Jimmy Bain, British but Scottish, um, who's left. Cozy is British. Um, and they're making really, really British music. That's that's a, an important part here. Or, or even to be uh, more specific but wider uh they're making very european music they're they're making very classical based music and that's very important for the idea of the new wave of british heavy metal and uh on that beautiful beautiful phrase let's take a break all right back again this is uh history in five songs with martin popoff episode 38 second wave heavy metal european division um our third entry uh in this um is Thin Lizzy with Emerald. Take a listen. To the towns where there was plenty They brought plunder, swords and flame When they left the town was empty And children would never play again
All right, so here's another one of these bands that um, is as old as the Hills. They're as old as everybody else. They they go back to 1970, 1971. Thin Lizzy, um, Shades of Blue Orphanage. They've got uh, Vagabonds of the Western World and Nightlife and Fighting. But they don't really become... I mean, their their rise is a lot more gradual. They they are, you know, people woke to good music are, uh, are more into early Thin Lizzy than they are into early UFO, that's for sure. Um, because Vagabonds, you start getting the sound. Uh, nightlife, a eh, little bit. Uh, fighting, you certainly get the birth of the Thin Lizzy sound. But I wanted to pick this one to, um, to show Thin Lizzy really becoming, again, this butterfly coming out of, you know, essentially they're a new band to a lot of people. Jailbreak is a pretty considerably big hit album. It does go gold. Um, It's got Boys Are Back in Town on it, the band's most famous song. Jailbreak on it, possibly the band's second most famous song. Uh, But Emerald's a great, heavy, famous song. Um, So here they are. And again, European division. uh, You know, you can't really call Thin Lizzy a uh, a UK band because Phil Linnett is... um, is Irish. Brian Downey is Irish. Um, you've got uh, Brian Robertson, who's British but Scottish, and you've got Scott Gorham, who is an American. So it's a little bit of a rainbow thing happening here, uh, frankly, I suppose. Um, but um, you know, a lot of people do think of them as a uh, as a UK band because they are essentially even much earlier than this a, a London-based band in a lot of ways. Um, you know, they're, they're, all the ads are in all the Melody Maker and Sounds and all that. They're always about town, in the pubs. You know, basically, uh, people think of Thin Lizzy as a, as a UK band in, in a lot of ways. Um, and it's funny, you know, as a London band, but, but yet not a, not a single one of them is actually from London. Uh, the other thing that's important about Thin Lizzy... Uh, very similar to UFO. I always considered them sister bands, but you know there is this uh, Bruce Springsteenish storytelling aspect. And 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 when I say that, I'm not even saying Bruce Springsteen was first because you know Bruce loved these bands as well. I mean they're they're all they're almost doing all this kind of all together. Phil Phil Linnett essentially is is uh, is a predecessor to Bruce Springsteen. He's almost you know you you could almost say Bruce Springsteen is following in the Phil Linnett. Um, tradition in in some ways um but um you do get that but i think i think one of the big things you get moving into the new wave of british heavy metal that thin lizzie brings is this idea of uh, of twin leads and having two guitarists um you know two two guitarists uh who are are kind of the centerpieces of the band and when they play together even more so so you get twin leads which is an important part of course of of iron maiden but a lot of bands and a lot of new wave of british heavy metal bands had uh, had two guitarists and again thin lazy's ma- making amazing great anthems they're killer live um they are you know inflaming the imaginations of uh of new wave of british heavy metal guys that are maybe a few years younger that are saying hey you know there there might be a future in this it looks like a lot of people love thin lizzy um, you know, we, we could do this. And once we get into the eighties, a lot of bands, uh, definitely cite Thin Lizzy as one of their, uh, beloved influences. Okay. So moving on, we're up to number four in our episode 38, second wave heavy metal European division. This is Scorpions with Steam Rock Fever. Begin. Uh, 
All right. So um, so to recap chronologically, we had UFO July 75 for that one. We had Rainbow was May 17th, 76. Thin Lizzy was March 26, 76. So, so it's a couple couple months earlier. I, I kind of... Uh, but, but I, you know, I did want to talk about sort of... Um, you know the idea also that Rainbow's importance uh, goes back to the first album, uh, and Thin Lizzy is really uh, you know awakening uh, or in the consciousness of people at this point. Scorpions, we are up to December fourth, nineteen seventy seven. This is off the Taken by Force album, and uh, and here's you know the main reason I had to call this European division. Um, this is a uh, a completely. Um, German band and uh, and a real sort of uh, you know European sound, but you know when I say European sound with these bands, what I what I also like is the idea that as uh, that this European sound is as much British as it is mainland European. Uh, you know, of course, Scorpions has the brother of Michael Schenker in Rudolf Schenker in the band, and Scorpions also spends a lot of time in the UK. Um, not not to the point where people think of them as a UK band, but. You know, everybody coming up in the new wave of British heavy metal knew the Scorpions and loved what they were doing. Uh, you know, and again, this is another band that goes back uh, even earlier than some of our first wave bands. You know, their their um their murky roots go back to even the mid '60s. Um, but and and when they make their first record, uh, Lonesome Crow, they're 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 truly a kraut rock band at that point. Fly to the Rainbow is mostly a kraut rock band album. Um, uh, Virgin Killer mo- mostly. Virgin Killer is where they really start, um, you know, coming into coming into being in terms of being like mostly uh, mostly very heavy metal. I mean, the song Virgin Killer is just amazing on that on that album. Um, but again, moving up into '77, I mean, this is uh, this is where you get Sales of Sharon. You get basically their most famous uh, song. They have a double live album in '78, '79. Um, they start getting a little bit of an Americanized sound um, with Matt, Matthias Jabs being in the band, not an American, but I mean, basically, uh, now him and Rudy are even closer than Oli, Oli John Roth and uh, and Rudy were because Oli is, is kind of an obscure Hendrix kind of guy, a little bit bluesy. He sung a lot of the songs, so he has a very kind of... Uh, throaty, scratchy sort of voice. So they're becoming a less obscure band, but most definitely... It basically it seems that Scorpions, um, you know, the, the woke period is is basically seventy six uh, on, so they are a second wave band, I would say. Okay, so moving on to our last one, uh, I think you all know who this would be. Uh, take a listen to this. This is Judas Priest with Running Wild. Now, why I wanted to pick Judas Priest was, um, you know, Judas Priest is a band that is, uh, again, uh, they have roots going back to 1969. But, I mean, unlike Thin Lizzy and UFO and Scorpions, I mean, their their first record is uh, is 1974. Uh, and then very quickly, they are absolutely re-engineering heavy metal for, uh, for a new wave, a, a second wave, uh, with Sad Wings of Destiny in 1976. But... I, I put them here last. This record, Killing Machine, comes out October 9th, 1978. I put them last because... 
they grow by leaps and bounds certainly from rock and roller through sad wings but um you know moving into sin after sin and staying class and up to this point at killing machines slash hellbent for leather of course this comes out uh just into the new year 1979 in america as hellbent for leather adding the fleetwood mac cover green man alishi um but I wanted to put them here because they are really, really, truly setting up the new wave of British heavy metal with an album that is the most technical, the fastest, the most action-packed, the most skilled of, of everything you've been hearing so far, the most new wave of British heavy metal adjacent to everything that you've heard here so far. Uh, you know, with, with quick anthems like uh, Hellbent for Leather, you know, take on the world, uh, you know, a, a lot of, a lot closer to that identification with heavy metal that is so important, uh, importantly a part of the new wave of British heavy metal. You just feel like this is moving on. I mean, everybody else, you know, Thin Lizzy, UFO kind of just has a foot in this whole thing. Rainbow has almost like too much personality to be considered, uh, you know, truly uh, committed to this heavy metal cause. And Richie Blackmore so argumentative. If you called him heavy metal, he would probably bristle at that and argue with you about it. But Judas Priest, on the other hand, they're moving into this uh, leather and studs phase, um, these quick-paced, awesome songs. And again, another thing they bring to the idea of the new wave of British heavy metal is two guitar heroes in Glenn Tipton and K.K. Downing. Twin leads, um, you know, they are they are truly in there inventing the twin lead idea along with Thin Lizzy and, of course, before that, Wishbone Ash and Almond Brothers. Um, but uh, twin leads and also, you know, twin guitars almost in battle with each other. They do a lot of noisy battles with each other. Just great solos, memorable solos, amazing riffs, probably the best riff writers out of these uh, five. Um, because, you know, with the likes of UFO and Thin Lizzy, you get this songwriting thing where songs are often based more around the melodies or the chord patterns rather than the, the whittly riffs that might be, you know, two-string riffs or one-string riffs, you know, fast, quick-paced stuff. Um, but you get you get a lot more complication with Judas Priest, and I think that's a big thing that leads into the new wave of British heavy metal. So there you go. Uh, we can wrap it up there. Um Essentially, like I say, I, I really felt that this was an episode that had to happen because you could almost rearrange these episodes and, and turn them into a kind of much longer history of heavy metal. And this is one that was just glaringly, you know, stuck between things I've done already. Um, we've, like I say, we've done hair metal, we've done new wave of British heavy metal, we're gonna do thrash. Uh, and the other one that is still a hole here is what happens in America, essentially between 75 and 79 and we will address that i don't know if that'll be the next episode but it'll it'll be sometime soon i mean you know i, I get these inspirations where you know i sit down and go i want to do this episode next so it might get pushed but it has to happen uh for the uh the organizational feel of this and then like i say you know one could rearrange these episodes which is kind of a neat idea um so okay um we will leave there um you know go to the facebook page i would love to have uh, more people joining up there we've got uh, i think uh, just over what is it over 400 members or something at the facebook page i love uh you know talking back and forth with you with uh, you, you folks about uh ideas it's really cool we're getting a lot of ideas there um you can email me at martinp at inforamp.net you can go to my site martinpopoff.com like i say i've got books on all of these bands and and actually let me see here yeah they're all in print uh, all these books are still in print um 
So martinpopoff.com, there's PayPal buttons for everything. I sign them, send them out out of the office. That is it for now. Uh, until next time, um, yeah, go listen to some second wave heavy metal European division. Uh, so until next time, uh, we shall talk to you later. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at the RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us at RNR Archaeology. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.